a lot of them. Ice on me, I'm popping. Try and get like me. Alrighty. Happy Tuesday, everyone. We have episode 46 of Stick With Your Dreams with Marisa Zupan from United Sodas of America, one of my favorite new and emerging better for you soda companies. Um, really pumped to have you to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's it's awesome to be here. Of course. So out the gate, um, I was at Erwan probably a couple months ago, and I had your sour blueberry soda, and I've been hooked ever since. Um, the brand is really, the cans are beautiful. It stands out on shelf. The product tastes amazing. Um, I guess I just love to hear Marisa, how, how did you get into the beverage business? I know I've, I've uh, seen that you've had a lot of experience in um, strategy and brand, you know, Ralph Lauren, Red Scout, Sloan Peterson, but tell me a little bit about, about yourself and how you uh, got into the CPG game. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Um, so I basically started my whole career in CPG. I, um, I was not in school for marketing or branding or business or any of that. I went to a small liberal arts school where we did liberal arts things. Um, but I always knew I wanted to come to New York to like do something in fashion. Um, and somehow in my search for a fashion job, I ended up at an advertising and branding agency called Anomaly. And it was actually a really amazing um, kind of job that I fell into because I think I'm actually much better at marketing and branding and the whole that whole scene that I am just just in fashion. So I ended up taking this job thinking that I was just going to go back to fashion at some point and I and I I did eventually but then just came back to marketing and branding. And when I was at Anomaly what we did was we developed beverage uh concepts for Coca-Cola and Nestle. That was my entire job was developing beverage concepts. Um, from identifying the market opportunity, and we did this globally. So it could be in the United States, Russia, Spain, um, you know, you name it. Uh, we developed concepts for functional beverages that we thought were going to be sort of like the next big opportunity. And we did this from soup to nuts, right? So we developed the name of the brand. We worked with um, their formulators to develop the liquid and the formulation and the claims that we would put against it. And we developed the advertising and everything. So um, that was an extremely amazing opportunity for me. And it basically set the tone for what I love to do. Um, and so I've been, I worked in beauty, I worked in spirits, um, but eventually, you know, that sort of set the stage for where I'm at now, which is exactly how we developed United Sodas. Um, so that, that's the beginning of how I became really excited about the beverage space. I mean, talk about, I don't think you can have a better background to start a, <laughs> an alt soda company. I, I really don't. Um, so are you allowed to share any of the, so the concepts that you developed for Coke? Yeah. Did they go to market? Yeah. So we actually brought um, one of them to market in a major way in the United States. And then another one was launched in Europe at some point. And the one we launched in the United States was called Inviga. And so there are some like groups, like niche groups of people, especially in like advertising agencies, um, uh, because their fridges were stocked with Inviga, it was a green tea based calorie burning beverage, which essentially meant that it, you know, it made your heart rate, you know, raise to the point where it would uh, 
essentially believably burn more calories while you were drinking it. It was essentially an energy drink with a weight loss um, functional claim. And it came in three different flavors and the berry flavor was my favorite, but we developed this long before, like even the only functional beverages that really existed were Red Bull and that was your classic, you know, energy drink story and then Gatorade and like Powerade. There were no other like functional propositions in the market. So we developed the concept for that based on- When, oh, when was this like early this 2000s? 2000, yeah, it was like in 2000 and I wanna say like um, 2007 to 2000, it was around from 2007 to like 2012. Um, and we did, we developed everything, the packaging, uh, the branding, everything, and we launched it, uh, primarily in cities. So we did a whole subway takeover of Broadway Lafayette and several billboards all over the New York metro area. Um, and then I think we also did like Chicago maybe in another city. But anyway, um, that was like the first major beverage launch that I was a part of. And it was with you know, the best brand strategists, the best possible beverage formulators, um, the best possible media partners, you know, like it was, and you, I had full visibility into all of it. Um, and then the other beverage we developed was a beauty beverage, um, which now you see those claims on the sides of bottles all the time, you know, better for your skin, has collagen, et cetera. But back then it didn't really exist. So we developed that and it was launched in, in Spain, but that was launched by the sort of Spanish sect of, of the company. So um, anyway, it, that was extremely interesting. And then of course we had a lot of other concepts underneath that, like a sports one, a one for kids health. Um, and uh, and those were, yeah, those were the other two big ones. We had sports, beauty, weight loss and and kids health. Uh, and, and um, you know, it's amazing how much development goes into concepts that are really beneficial to develop, but then are ultimately shelved. So whether or not it was shelved, the whole process I went through like five times, five or six times in the, in the course of my, of my working, you know, at, at Anomaly and with Coke and Nestle, it was extremely formative um, and taught me everything I needed to know really um, about how to develop a beverage. So really had the blueprint for how to build, uh, you know, a beverage company in the category. Yeah. Um, you moved from Anomaly to a couple different agencies after that, right? Yeah. So then I got really into um, like, so I'm dating myself, but essentially uh, it was like just when Facebook was starting to open up to uh, beyond colleges and high schools and when Twitter was just starting to take off and when Tumblr was in its really, really early phases, um, Instagram didn't exist yet, but I was really fascinated by everything that was happening in that world. Um, so I went to an agency called Undercurrent, which at the time was advising major companies like GE and Ford um, on how to use social media. So we did everything from teach, you know, the CMO of GE about you know, how to speak on Twitter and what Twitter meant to their workforce to analyzing 
every web property that they had and advising them on how to shore up all of their digital properties for the future. So it was an incredible job. We had amazing clients at the highest levels. I and mean, it really made me understand, you know, the, the importance of the internal and external value of a brand. So internal meaning your employees, how you run your company, how you prepare for the future, how you communicate your strategy internally, and then externally, you know, how does that translate outside and what does that mean? Um, you know, to, to, to the world. Um, so that, that was, that was extremely formative for me as well. And, and, and with all the brands that you were working with, were you working with fashion, food, CPG, everything across uh, from all those different agencies, or did you also step outside of consumer packaged goods? Um, we did, uh, mostly, well, we did auto because of Ford. I worked on Ford for a while. Um, and, uh, and we did fashion, uh, because I worked with like the Victoria's Secret group for a while. Uh, and then we did CPG. So we did Pepsi, um, Pepsi and, and Coke and Nestle, obviously from my previous experience, previous experience. I mean, the CPG brands are a powerhouse when it comes to hiring agencies to do. So you get a lot of auto and then you get a lot of CPG. They're like the big clients that you see in, in, in that advertising and branding. Um, and, and when when did United Sodas like become when did you make that decision like okay I've been working on this idea like how did it kind of come to fruition for you to quit your job and go all, all in on it so I had actually quit my job um, like my my like my day job I guess you could call it like being a full-time employee at another company um, uh, several years about two years before United sodas reached um, the world and I decided to be a consultant and I, so I went on my own and I was working with founders of companies that were at that point where they were developing their products, but didn't know what the brand side was, like even what the brand name should be or what the values, how the values should be articulated. And so that was really attractive for me because I, I really felt that the best way to build a brand was to build the brand side and the product side together. Um, and so I was working with founders to do that. And on the side, um, my co-founders and I were sort of cooking up this idea of United Sodas. And it was it was this fantastic, um, you know, uh, sort of doors wide open project where we just said if we were to reimagine what the next great American soda company could be as if it was invented today. Right. Not as if we were looking backwards or trying to be a vintage company or something like that. If we were to do that today. What would it look like? How? What needs in the marketplace would it answer? What would it be called? Um, and that's really how this came to be. And we spent about a year developing the idea for ourselves. I worked very closely with Alex Center during this whole process. Um, and he is a designer that and his studio still does all of our designs. He actually came from Vitamin Water and Coke. So very, 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 very uh, well-known and regarded um, designer in that space. And so when we came up with an idea, a brand positioning, a strategy, um, and a product that we really, really, really believed in, we decided that instead of it just being a thought process project in our head, um, we wanted to fund it and, and move forward. And, and that's what we did. And I stepped up as CEO at that point, and the rest is kind of, kind of history. It's amazing. It's amazing. And this was, when did you guys officially launch? Was it 2019 or? 2020. We officially launched to the world in 2020, although we had been developing the project since the end of 2017, I believe, um, early 2018. And so it was just development all the way up until 2020. And we're about to turn one years old next month. So Amazing. Happy early birthday. <laughs> yeah. um, so with so many CPG brands, 
Um, I feel like there's really this, I don't want to call it a bifurcated approach, but you know, with a brand like yours, you can definitely go D to C. I've seen brands struggle specifically in food and beverage with the direct to consumer play or Amazon or retail. How are you guys thinking about channel strategy? I know I picked you up at, at air one, but curious to see, um, how United sodas thinks about distribution. Yeah, it's uh, a great question. Think about it every day and in my dreams. Um, so we started D2C and there were a number of reasons for that. Uh, one was that we always knew we wanted to launch our concept in an environment that we had full control over. So when you have a massive network of distributors and retailers that you're working with, there's a lot of investment that needs to go in to make sure that your product is showing up on shelf the way that you want it to. And so there's sort of a lack of control in that way. There's a lot of scale. There's not a lot of control versus with D2C, um, you stay really, really close to your customers. You can control every single beat of their experience and you really learn a lot very quickly by doing that. Uh, so we know we, we knew we wanted to launch our concept D2C first for that control and visibility and relationship with the customer. But also uh, what we didn't anticipate was there going to be a massive global pandemic that was going to slow down the buying for all retailers anyway. So we didn't have a strategy that was disrupted. If we had decided to go full retail from the beginning, it's likely that there would have been a freeze on anything new during that time and we would have had to wait to get on shelf. As it happens, we launched, um, we really proved our concept. We got an amazing reception from the world. It really allowed buyers to be attracted to us because they could see the positive reaction. It was very low risk for them, um, especially the Air Wands to bring us in because they already could see that there was demand in the market. So uh, we launched D2C and then the retails really came to us. We almost used that launch and our website as a, not only a, D to C selling channel, but a B to B selling channel. And so when Vito called me from Erwan, I was like packing pallets myself of our product in Gowanus in Brooklyn. Um, and he said, hey, you guys have to get five pallets over here immediately because we want to launch you guys on the 4th of July. Like, please do everything you can. And I was like, uh, what? What flavors do you want? And we don't, we haven't even booked like any major distributors. And he's like, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Like, just get, get the pallets over here, you know, and we'll make it happen for you guys. They have been incredible partners, but we actually launched, speaking of everyone, we launched um, in their stores, our retail business. And that's really how the snowball started. Now we're in a much different spot. Um, you know, we have a we have a D to C and a wholesale strategy. Um, our wholesale strategy also has nuance to it because you have your major distributors um, and then you have your local distributors also called DSDs in, in our market that basically um, distribute to smaller businesses like your bodegas or your fancy hotels or whatever that may be and not necessarily your grocery channel. So we're distributing across multiple different types of businesses while also maintaining our D2C beverage, um, D2C business. Uh, and uh, it's been an incredible learning experience for me, but um, I would say having a control, having um, a strategy where you maintain control and then also are in scalable places and you balance both control and scale is really, really, really important. What were some of the biggest learnings, you know, prior to launching your own? It's great that you, it, so, it sounds like you've had experience launching multiple beverage brands and brands in the past. 
what was like an aha moment or something that you learned that you had no idea, um, you know, post-launch? Um, I would say, uh, so my experience in launching a beverage was mostly on the marketing, PR, uh, brand positioning, advertising side. It was not on the street level of how to sell and scale and maintain the business from from the ground, right? Um, and beverage is still very, very, very much an in-person, on the street, in the store business. You you have to hire people who really can represent your brand well, who can walk into a store, who can find the buyer of that store, and sell. You know, sell the brand with the most integrity possible and then also be able to go in store and keep track of how it's showing up, making sure it's being placed properly, seeing opportunity on the shelf. I mean, there is limited shelf space in the physical world. Online, there's not limited shelf, shelf space. In the world, there is, and you need to maintain your position at all times. And that means physically being in the store. So finding people who are really good at that physical part of selling, like literally going into stores, meeting people, um, taking care of the product, moving it around, merchandising it. It's so, so, so key. And um, for me, I, you know, I'm a very digitally fluent person. I've always been on all the platforms. I've always learned, you know, the next digital marketing possibilities. Um, but that physical piece is still very important. And so investing in that, finding the right people to do that. I didn't expect that to be so, so, so much of the job, but it really, really is. And I'm really enjoying it for sure. It's awesome. I think that's really good advice. Most people don't realize that just getting onto the shelf is, you know, oh, that's typically the easy part and that's hard to do. But then staying on the shelf, you know, performing, having velocities that tell a narrative, um, really, really tough. And then going, you know, different channels, you have natural channels, you have conventional channels, mass channels, different packaging. There's so much to it, so many nuances and complexities. Mm -hmm. um, Super, super interesting. And can I ask when you quit your job initially and you were going to launch this, I think founders, sometimes the people who want to go into the space, they deal with, you know, uh, judgment from others. You know, it's very challenging to create a concept of brand in such a saturated market at times is what it feels yeah. like. There's a new product launched every week, every other day. I hear of a new um, ice cream, beverage, snack, you name it. So how did you deal with the initial responses from people um, in the early days? Like before we launched the brand and I was like, I'm going to go do this passion project. Exactly. Most of the people, I'm so, so lucky that I surround myself with people who um, have always been supportive of my somewhat uh, like entrepreneurial um, choices. I've made other choices like, just I decided at a moment in time early in my career that I was going to take a break and just be like a fashion photographer and writer for a while. And th that was the moment where everyone I knew and it was close to was like, what are you doing? Like, this is not a good idea. You can't do this. This is bad. You know, like you're like, and I just said, trust me, guys, I'm just going to jump off this cliff and see where it takes me. And, you know, that wasn't, you know, I'm obviously not the world's most, you know, renowned fashion photographer, but I did learn a lot, whatever. And then I ended up finding my way. So I would say my friends and family really understood that about me. So they were only just really, really, really supportive of me doing this because they've seen me take a leap before and had it land me in a, in a good spot or a spot that was, you know, better than I was before. That said, I think most of the criticism that came 
to me from the decision to launch or to, to be, you know, to build the brand was mainly coming from people who were in very traditional CPG backgrounds and were trying to pick apart the concept that we had based on very traditional standards. So for example, we um, have 12 SKUs. We launched with 12 SKUs. And the reason for that was a brand decision. We're called United Sodas of America. You can't really launch a brand to that effect with the platform around variety and choice um, with like three SKUs. Most beverages launch with two or three SKUs. And of those two or three, one is always considered the hero. And so yep. that you know, your production schedules are much more understandable. You have basically one product that you're making than two other ones. Um, and, it, you know, you get a lot of efficiencies. There's a lot of control there. And that's totally fine and good. And I completely understand that perspective from, you know, from an, operation, an operator. We are brand people at United Sodas, first and foremost. And so for us, the excitement of developing an entire brand around this spectrum of like rainbow palette that when you look at it instantaneously communicates to you variety and choice and excitement, that choice seemed nonsensical to those who didn't make choices from that point of view. So we got a lot of pushback on that from people that were not related to the brand. Obviously we made the decision that we made, but there was a lot of like head nodding and me going, I totally understand that you think that that's not going to work, but this is the decision that we're making and going to stick to it. And I'm going to launch in the middle of a pandemic with this concept. And I hope that, uh, you know, like you'll see it might turn out differently than you think. And what we found is those people, definitely are, you know, uh, very appreciative that they stuck by to see what happened because it turns seems to be going really well for us so far. Yeah, no. And look, what I will say is playbooks change. Uh, you know, oftentimes everyone's looking at what the last successful, yes. what that brand or company did, mm -hmm. but new, new technologies show up every, I feel like there's a new platform every three year, two, three yeah. years. Um, brands weren't being built on TikTok three, five years ago. 100%. Um, and so, you know, common, you know, goals or, or values or strategies aren't necessarily going to, or they're usually not transferable at all to, to things being built now. Um, we had a similar issue with our pop, you know, it was, a, it, everyone was like, you can't scale and manufacture the shape of that dream pop. And most people were like, good luck. It's literally impossible to scale exactly. that and I said, no, you know, just like you, um, when you, you stick to your gut and your values and you do something usually the hard way mm -hmm. is where the magic happens. So I, I really respect that and commend that. Cause I agree every, what people don't think about is you have 12 SKUs, right? Or is it, mm -hmm. is it 12? That's each of those 12 SKUs is its own supply chain. And, um, you're dealing with out of stocks for those and managing all the different SKUs on shelf. That's really hard. But that also could be to your benefit in terms of real estate and choice and the brand that you're building. So yeah. I love that. Um, super cool. So can you tell us a little bit about like why you built United Sodas of America and what it stands for and what you hope to accomplish mm -hmm. uh, going up against the Cokes, the Pepsis, you know, the biggest dominant beverage players? Right. Uh, the reason why we started it was because we saw the beverage industry just exploding with opportunity. And um, if you look at, you know, the size of the pie, depending on how you break it down, there was all of these, you know, slices of the beverage category pie that were growing and the soda category was shrinking, even though it maintains its dominance. Um, and it's not, you know, 
it's not like going away. I heard a lot of people being like, soda is over. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's definitely not over, guys. It just hasn't really caught up to what people need. And so to us, that was the opportunity. It was so many people were developing outside the soda idea. Um, and we thought, look, soda just needs, it just needs to be brushed off and picked up and updated and living up to the new expectations that consumers have for it. Soda had become, you know, the, the formulations hadn't changed in how many years, like since before our parents, right? And, and, uh, and the branding has always sort of been a little bit like it's gotten to the point where it's been maybe a little bit not current um, or off or just like not quite not quite resonating right with those people in culture who are looking for something new and different and so we um we really saw that as a huge opportunity and so we really asked ourselves you know what what would soda look like if it was invented in 2020 uh what would the formulation be what would it be made out of what would it taste like what what would the brand look like and how would it behave um and those were really the first provocative you know, provocations that we had to answer. And we had a lot of different, a lot of different ways to answer that. But for us, it really came down to a beverage that was not billed as a healthy beverage. Like we, our can says all the information that you need to see on it. It has a nutritional panel that tells you it has 30 calories and six grams of sugar. And, um, and it has the brand right here on the back, if you, if you care. Um, and, and that, that's what we needed to communicate to people. Flavor, uh, a, a nutritional panel that made you feel great about what you were buying, and then a brand that that um, felt like it was doing something new and exciting, and uh, and we didn't want to be like the the health option. We wanted to be the new definition of soda. So uh, United Sodas of America was born, um, and the notion of variety was really key to us from a value standpoint, it's very important because we're called United Sodas, right? There is a notion that to be united, you need some kind of variety and choice. Otherwise, it would just be called soda uh, or like one soda or soda one. It's United right. Sodas, right? And so variety and choice and difference was really important to us. Um, that that's that's key from a value standpoint. But then from a product selection standpoint, we did, you know, consumer research and everyone in every category wants choice now. Why do you think Chobani on the on the um, yogurt aisle was able to make the yogurt aisle go from this to like several, several, several miles long? It's because they developed an unending amazing level of choice, similar to Sephora and beauty, right? Like choice is key to every decision making process that you're going to go through when you buy something. So why, why do we only have one cola with like, with like one other alternative flavor in it or like a cola, you know, with, with a couple of other flavors added to it? Why can't we have a full spectrum? Not that I don't love colas. I do love a cola. Um, but just say, speaking like, of, speaking of colas, cola. can you educate us? Cause um, you know, I've, I've definitely like watched what Coke and Pepsi have done, mm -hmm. but when I think about Coca-Cola and its dominance, same with Pepsi, but more Coke is, is, is there like, what is the magic behind the Coca-Cola brand? Is it distribution? Is it, yeah. uh, you know, is it like, what allows them to be such a force de decade after decade? When you look at a nutrition label like that, is it just, nobody has come in yet and their, you know, their distribution and their retail relationships are so powerful and strong. Like how, how do you even upend a Coca-Cola? Um, 
Um, you know, I feel like the goal does, isn't necessarily to upend Coca-Cola. I think it's just to, you know, if anything, pressure from other brands in the market is going to make Coke better. Coke has always proven to be able to find a way to survive in any moment. You know, they, they're an excellent company that knows how to do things extremely well. So I'm not going to pick on them for their business practices by any means. And I think also they know how to find a way to respond to what's happening in the market, whether they acquire smaller brands or whatever that might be. To your question about what makes them so enduring, I do think I'm a brand person, right? So the first thing that I go to is the place in the minds and the hearts that they've captured. They, you know, they were developing a brand before people knew what brands were. Um, there's like this famous story where in World War II, the soldiers couldn't get anything from home, right? Like the, the supply chain to the soldiers overseas was very limited, but Coke made the decision to be able to, you know, be able to, uh, to, to distribute, if you will, to overseas. And they made the investment to be able to do that and to give a Coke in the hands of every single soldier overseas and make sure that they always associated it with something positive, something from home and people, you know, at home rooting for them and remembering them, right? That wave of soldiers that came back and then resulted in the in the in the baby boomers, I mean, they passed that sentiment down. And this doesn't matter how many generations go by, that level of psychological and um, emotional um, sort of uh, nostalgia attachment. Yeah, I mean that has that has really, really paid off for them. And they have continued to capitalize on that notion of togetherness, of happiness, and it and it's authentic. They can own that and that is fantastic. And they are so, so good at maintaining that on, on, in several ways. I would say where, what it does do though, is that it opens up other arenas around that sentiment. That's a specific sentiment that they own. This nostalgia, togetherness, happiness, that's great. There are lots of other emotions and exciting things to be able to um, resonate with in people. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for other brands to step into those areas, um, even though Coke does such a good job on their own. I really resonate with that. I don't know if you've ever read, there's a, a book about Nutella's founding story. They did mm -hmm. something very similar with how they would um, create moments for children um, and use occasions, uh, similar with Coke, similar with some of like the most enduring brands. So I yeah. love that, super interesting. Um, well, I, I wanna be cognizant of our time. I do have a couple other quick questions for you. Um, you know, any exciting news with, with United Sodas? Where can we find you um, this year and in the next few, few, you know, for summer and coming into the fall anywhere, um, new distribution gains or new products that you're working on? Um, and then after that, uh, you know, where do you hope to see the brand and the company in three, five, ten years? Uh, so the the near term um, news is that we're expanding our distribution. Um, we we we've always been nationwide, but we're going to have strong footholds uh, in L.A., Texas, Chicago, New York, and then. Um, it's not inked yet, but you'll find us on some shelves in the South as well. Uh, and so we've got an incredible national team that we're working with to do that. We've really made sure that we're taking our time and doing our strategy right. But in the next year, we're really ramping that, that up. So you'll be seeing us on, on shelves um, across the country, which is important for us because we're called United Sodas of America. Uh, and then in terms of product drops, we're, we're cooking on something. So our next big thing is going to be um, not just launching like one fun seasonal flavor 
uh, we're launching something completely new. So I'm really, really excited to show the world, world that we're working on it right now. I can't tell everyone what it is, but we're very excited about it. Uh, and you'll you'll know it when you see it. And um, and your other question was, where are we going to be in three to five years? Where is United Sodas in five, 10, 15 years? Uh, well, that's a different question for each time period, but I would uh, say- and if we're, what, 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 What's your vision for this company? Yeah. And the ultimate, in the ultimate vision, look, we're called United Sodas of America. We want to be one of the next great soda companies under the name soda. And we want to be able to create products that live up to customers' expectations for the next few years, uh, few years, for the next years and then beyond. And that means that we have to continue to evolve. And that means we need to be continuously putting pressure on the big guys to evolve too. So um, really the way that we're positioned, um, the sky's the limit for us. And so I just want to make sure that as we grow to the full potential of what our, you know, our name allows us to be, that we, um, we're the best we can possibly be to our employees and we're the best we can possibly be to our customers while we, while we scale. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Unreal. And then last question for you as someone who's pretty, uh, you know, digitally fluent, um, favorite channel for building brand awareness and, and strategy for, for telling people about your brand. Uh, well, <laughs> that changes, um, from week to week, but I have to say I'm really into TikTok right now. Uh, and the reason why I'm on TikTok is because I don't think it's going away. And I was really fascinated. I'm the kind of person I have to get on the platform and be a user of the platform for a while before I can understand where and how brands come in. Because platforms are ultimately for people. They're not for brands. So brands need to find a way that make it, make, to make it work. Um, I haven't really seen a brand use TikTok in an extremely uh, native way yet in a way that like really resonates with the users. However the first brands to do that and they're coming are the ones that are really going to be set up for success. Much, much like how the first brands that used Instagram in the best way really built their entire brands. TikTok is going to be the same. So we're not actively on TikTok, although I'm knee deep in understanding the platform and understanding where, where we should be on it. It's awesome. It's awesome. Well, Marisa, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I'm probably going to get, either is it a pear elderflower right yeah. or a yeah. for lunch so Good. i'm excited um, <laughs> let me know which one you pick i will i will thank you again for jumping on and uh have a great rest of your week thanks you too